was glorious in so many ways fellas kansas and tcu battled for big 12 supremacy we had a competitive alabama and texas a&m game and unfortunately we did have to pronounce time of death on utah's playoff chances we'll discuss all this and more of course in the week six recap here on the three technique college football podcast at the intersection of the x's and o's and the jimmies and the joes i'm mitch mason Joined by Trey Reeves, uh, Garrett Turney unable to be with us once again tonight, but we will immediately reference him right off the top of the show. Head on over to our Instagram and our Twitter at 3TechPod. He will be eulogizing the Utah Utes playoff chance, really a celebration of life over on our social channels. So uh, please head on over and uh, and check that out. But Trey, you are here in the present my goodness, dude, the Pac-12 looks like they're ready to play some serious football between what uh, UCLA did, between what uh, USC is doing. Oregon looks kind of plucky. They they battled some demons and 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 exercised some demons, as it were, in, in Tucson this weekend. Conference of Champions, they, they might be knocking on the playoff door once again. Yeah, Utah's loss is really the whole conference's gain because that was a conference we had put on life support before the start of the season, we kind of said Utah was a playoff con- contender by default just because we thought that they had a chance to run through a weak conference, but we've been proven otherwise. We've seen several teams, like you mentioned, step up. Oregon looks like they bounced back nicely from that just disaster of week one showing against Georgia and the Los Angeles big 10 country uh, in a couple of years is looking really good as their last couple rounds of PAC 12 country. Uh, they are. Uh, it, it's going to be really, really fun watching as some of these Pac-12 games now actually matter. Um, now, whether you call this a Pac-12 rivalry, a Big Ten rivalry, uh, Utah or UCLA and USC, that's going to be a really fun one here uh, in, in just a couple of weeks. We'll talk about all of that. We've got a lot of games to break down. Uh, first, before we get into there, uh, let's handle the housekeeping. Of course, as I mentioned, please head on over and follow us at 3TechPod on Instagram and Twitter for all of our social content. Again, Garrett, um, just uh, putting his sweet, sweet 2022 Utah Utes to bed. Uh, it was uh, a life that we lost far too soon, but hey, maybe they bounce back next year. We'll, we'll just have to see, but just not ready for the prime time in this season. Of course, if you are a new listener to the show, Welcome aboard. We're glad to have you in the 3Tech family. Please subscribe to the podcast, uh, whichever platform you're listening on. If it's Apple, it's Spotify, whichever one it is, we're on all the major platforms. Please hit that subscribe button. Obviously, you'll get our live podcast delivered right to you on Monday mornings and Thursday mornings at 6 a.m. Central are when they go out right in time for your work commute. Uh, But it also helps us grow the show. So follow us and subscribe. Leave a rating as well, if you would. Uh, It just continues to help us in our upward trajectory. We are growing on a weekly basis, and uh, it's thanks to listeners like you. 
Other housekeeping item, Trey, to mention, you've been keeping tabs on the spread option, our weekly pick uh, where you guys have the chance to play directly head-to-head against us uh, for a mini helmet at the end of the season. The season-long points leader will get a mini helmet uh, sent directly by the three tech team to wherever you might be, as long as you're in the continental United States. Do you want to shout out Matt Bowden for winning? He's our first repeat winner on the show. He went six and four this past week. Um, of course, have to have to pat you on the back. You went seven and three, Trey. Uh, obviously not eligible for that mini helmet. You can buy your own. But uh, Matt gave you a run for your money. Uh, you did end up edging him by one. But as far as the listenership goes, Matt, as I mentioned, six and four. He is the first repeat winner on the show. Super happy for Matt. I will say the difference between my seven and three and his six and four was my faith in our mutual uh, Texas A&M Aggies. I picked them to cover that 24 point spread. He picked Alabama. So don't be a two percenter, Matt. And you would have tied me. (laughs) Listen, just kidding. You did great. That was awesome. There were a lot of two percenters, myself included, that had no faith in that game. And yet uh, Texas A&M, as we'll get into just in a minute here, four chances inside the red zone, I believe, to win that game. Uh, They were competitive all the way throughout. It was a fun one to watch on Saturday night. The exact opposite of what I feel like 95% of the college football universe expected to happen. So we'll dive into that. But, Trey, we have to start with our game of the week in headliners. It, it paid off all the hype. Game day went to Lawrence for the first time ever. It was a long overdue trip. You wondered if the 11 a.m. kick, if it would kind of lull the home team to sleep, a red-hot TCU team coming in. Kansas got up. They were ready to play this game. TCU did end up taking it uh, 38-31. And look, this is this is a, a TCU team that you kind of need to get off the tracks uh, in front of. They are barreling towards a red-hot start. In fact, they're 5-0 and for the first time since 2017. And Trey, this was a TCU squad that wasn't even projected to make a bowl game comfortably in the preseason projections, not just by us but really by the local and national media sources. Yeah, just kind of out of nowhere. And we, we've beat this drum for a couple of weeks now, ever since we saw them live against SMU a couple of weeks ago. But man, Sonny Dykes is going to be a problem in the Big 12 for years to come, as long as he's at TCU. And, you know, I've been saying Max Duggan's on a heater, and he's just kind of, you know, on a hot streak right now. I might need to take that back and say he's legitimately good because – he absolutely balled out. I don't think I can call it a heater anymore. He's just flat out good. He had Quentin Johnston just absolutely go off. No one on Kansas's defense could cover him. 14 receptions for 206 yards and a touchdown. One man show on the offense. And the, the whole offense was clicking, but man, it was just impossible to cover Johnston for anybody in a blue or red uniform. Um, but man, credit Kansas. I, I don't want, uh, I'm really glad they didn't slip out of the AP poll because. That is still a really good team. These might be the second and third best teams in the Big 12 behind Oklahoma State, who we'll get to in a little bit. But, man, just an exciting atmosphere. The atmosphere in the stadium borderlined anything that we've seen at Fog Allen in the last few years for a national championship basketball team. So hats off to those fans. And you just really, really hope that Jalen Daniels – can recover and if not for this season just for his future because he was an absolute star in the making in this offense yeah tough injury there for for Jalen he goes down um looked like a collarbone to me he came out 
of the game was in uh, was in like a pullover, and he had clearly had a sling on under the pullover. So, you know, you, you just don't know what that injury will look like. I will say they have a very competent backup in Jason yeah. Dean, who's actually the starter for the majority of last year, a North Texas transfer, I guess now two seasons ago. Bean was slinging it, man. I mean, he came out, and, and usually you have some hesitancy with a backup quarterback. Bean's been there, done that as far as started games, played against big-time Big 12 competition, and he gave Kansas every chance that they they really needed to win this game. Ultimately, they do fall short because, I, as we talked about, TCU is the better team, uh, but most importantly, they did get us the push, which... Uh, I, I, at least I'm thankful for, I wanted to believe in something that belief is, is not necessarily dead. I will say, I want to point out something that, that, (laughs) that you made us aware of. I don't remember if it was on the podcast or when we were sitting in your living room, you did point out the fact that Kansas could now proceed to go five and seven and and looking at their schedule. I I don't know that five and seven is necessarily going to happen because they've got Oklahoma up next. Um, and we'll talk about <laughs> OU in just a second. That might be a cupcake game, but at Baylor, home against Oklahoma State, at Tech, home against Texas, at Kansas State. Uh, not exactly the easiest remaining path to bowl eligibility. You could legitimately argue that Oklahoma is the easiest game out of the remaining several. I think that is the easiest game out of the remaining several, especially if Dylan Gabriel is not back for that game uh, next weekend. But yeah, Jaden Daniels going down is just a huge blow. Jalen Daniels, excuse me, um, is just a huge blow to that offense. Jason Bean did come in and look awesome. He threw four second half touchdowns. Offense really actually started taking off in this game once Jason Bean came in, but um yeah you hope he can get healthy if not you hope jason bean can uh come in and lead him to at least a couple more wins so they can start positioning for bowl eligibility but it is a brutal brutal close to the schedule tcu has a brutal close as well so we're gonna really find out exactly how good these two teams are over the next couple weeks yeah tcu's remaining schedule home against oklahoma state they host kansas state then on the road against west virginia They get Texas Tech at home before finishing on the road against Texas, Baylor, and then randomly versus Iowa State. I I guess just because of the way the rivalries work, uh, TCU doesn't have a supernatural Big 12 rival that doesn't already have a game kind of scheduled for that final week of the season, so they get the clones. They do get them in Fort Worth, so their schedule, into the schedule at least, slightly easier than Kansas's, but... I, I tell you what, the Big 12 has been much maligned over the last couple of years. First, it was a, a conference that didn't play any defense. And then, uh, hey, other than maybe two teams, like you don't have any contenders. They're kind of stacked this year. I, I think you could point to really seven teams that, goodness, on any given Saturday, you don't really want to mess with. Yeah, I will say they are doing the traditional big 12 thing of backloading the schedule. So there's going to be a lot of ranked on ranked matchups that just kind of at the end of the year, they might not be um, still ranked teams, but it's going to be a lot of exciting football. It's going to be a lot of must see action down the stretch. And yeah, the way that they did their scheduling at the end of the year this year, I think they were trying to avoid some back-to-back week matchups. So like Bedlam's the second to last week of the season this year instead of the last week. So some weird quirks in the schedule, but it'll be exciting to follow. 
I, I don't think we're gonna have to worry about a uh, a back to back matchup between Oklahoma. Uh, yeah, and no, State. that that one's dead. We're talking about funerals. We can pour that one out too. <laughs> I we'll we'll talk about Oklahoma here in a minute. I mean, goodness, that is whew, that got bad in a hurry. But let's talk about a really competitive game, a game that a lot of people were were checking out of. That you even heard a lot of complaining that this was CBS's primetime game. Some of that complaining came from yours truly. I was a little bit surprised that they stuck with that after everything that AM has gone through this season. You know, we were sick and tired of CBS playing the same old audio clips from this summer, just shoehorning that story into everything they could all week. The the feud between Jimbo and, and Saban, I don't know if it's still really a thing or not. Um, you know, there was some creative storytelling by CBS trying to make it seem like, oh, Nick Saban gave him the cold shoulder at the 50-yard line and didn't want to talk to him until a GA came over and tapped him on the shoulder. I, I think Nick Saban was just locked in on the pregame stuff. I think Jimbo was as well. But Alabama needs the final play, a fourth and goal stop, from the two-yard line to hold on. They beat the Aggies 24-20. They do slide two spots in the AP poll, if you care about the AP poll, which we would suggest you don't. Uh, It makes no sense. But Alabama no longer the top team in the country after, quote-unquote, struggling with the Aggies. This was a really close game from wire to wire. I mean, Alabama at one point did have a 14-point lead, but you always felt like the Aggies were a play away from being right back in it, a play away from tying it. And then in the end, they were a play away from winning it. Yeah. And I think the whole story of this game really starts with the quarterback play on both sides because Alabama, of course, was missing Bryce Young. Dennis Dodd, for some reason, was tweeting that Bryce Young was going to start five minutes before kickoff. And then Jalen Milrow was obviously the starter. Bryce Young didn't have his helmet anywhere near him. So, yeah, Jalen Milrow fought valiantly I thought his run game at times was just a difference maker he converted some first downs he definitely kept the AM defense on its heels for a good chunk of that game but four turnovers by the Alabama offense three squarely on Jalen Milrow with two fumbles and an interception combine that with two missed field goals and a PI that gave AM the ball at the two for one last play man Bama was doing everything they could to hand AM this game and the Aggies just couldn't take it Haynes King on the other side of the ball. You love the bounce back. You love the effort. You love the competitive nature that that kid has after getting benched after a loss to App State. Coming back in there and leading the Aggies to having a shot on that last play. But yeah, it was just a story of two quarterbacks that are kind of struggling to find their footing against SEC competition. And the one with the more talent around him and the better scheme probably ended up winning out despite all those mistakes. So. As an AM fan, I keep going back and forth on if I should be happy or kind of bummed out after that game because I think the answer is just a little both. Jimbo mm-hmm. said it best in his press conference. There's no moral victories. Um, but yeah, I realize it's year five, yada, yada, yada. I'm more excited to see these young guys develop than I was this time last week. This time last week, we were, you know, dead on arrival, 24 point dogs to Alabama. Not a lot of positives to take, but. I think coming out of this game, you saw a lot of maturation in this AM, uh, really young AM lineup. And hopefully that carries forward through the bye week to the rest of the season. I, I think you're absolutely right. Zero moral victories. Texas AM's three and three. That's the reality. Yeah. Heading into the bye week, the preseason, depending on where you looked, fifth or sixth ranked team in the country 
is three and three. And now you have to go find three to four wins to even take a single positive out of this season. I mean, truly the first mission is, hey, let's let's be eligible for a bowl game, which is not going to be an easy task. Now, I know we have some differing opinions on maybe the strength of opponents down this schedule. We can get to that in, in weeks coming up. Uh, A&M on a bye week this week, and they need it. They are so banged up, it's not even funny. So first of all, no no moral victories. And I tweeted something uh, in response to uh, a Billy Lucci tweet about how proud he was of the team. If you care to go read it, go find my personal Twitter. You can you can read it. It's one with a b- billion comments underneath it where Texas Longhorn fans, uh, you know, tried to tried to pull me off sides, tried to troll me. wasn't happening. But I do think you saw a lot of positives from this A and M team. First of all. And kind of the point of the tweet was they didn't quit. This would have been a game where they could have rolled in Tuscaloosa, bought into all the national narratives that you were going to get housed by 30 and go home and lick your wounds over the bye week and honestly start to pick your next destination in the transfer portal. That's what I was afraid might happen this week. Now, look, you didn't get the win, but the competitiveness that they showed – the the strides that I saw guys take on the defensive line in the secondary, the wide receivers, you were bolstered that entire game by two true freshmen at wide receiver and a sophomore in in Moose Muhammad, right? I mean, Evan Stewart and Chris Marshall flat out made plays. Evan Evan Stewart looked like a true wide receiver number one in the best conference in the country, and he's 18 years old. That is a huge positive for me. I think Haynes showed me a lot. I think Haynes can be the starting quarterback the rest of the season, despite calls for Connor Wegman, the five-star true freshman who's sitting on the bench. And I think Haynes has a chance, if he builds on this game this season, to retain the starting job next year. I know that's not going to be a popular take amongst A&M fans who, you know, listen, A&M fans get bored with the status quo quicker than just about any other fan base. So I know that Wegman is the shiny new toy, waiting to be played with, but Haynes, Haynes put everything on the line and he was a slight alteration in his timing on that final hitch route from beating Alabama on the road. Um, that's a kid that got knocked down sideways all game long, might potentially have a bruised rib or two. Um, I mean, you could tell he was in some serious pain and he kept stepping up into the pocket and making plays. So overall, I think A&M fans, it stings to be three and three. But let's try and look forward to what you saw strides taken in this game. The other big stride that we were joking about the entire game, you ran a four-man front for the majority of the game. And it seems like someone <laughs> finally, finally, finally got DJ Durkin in front of a projector and put on some game film and said, hey, man, um, three-man fronts are not working. Now, that being said, Alabama still ran for almost 300 yards. So run defense, it's an issue for the Aggies. But um, listen, at the end of the day, Chalk held. Alabama wins. Texas A&M loses. Alabama is still undefeated, uh, still marching towards the Nick Saban Revenge Tour. Uh, you know, uh, listen, if they get Bryce Young back and healthy, which we don't know how severe that AC joint injury is, but as long as he's healthy, I still think Bama is a playoff team and a, a solid contender for the national title. Yeah, I was going to say, we should definitely spend some time talking about the team that won this game because yeah. credit Alabama for fighting through four turnovers from a redshirt freshman quarterback, two missed field goals, and still hanging on to win against one of the top five most talented teams in the country. Like that, 
hats off to you. You did not play your best ball, similar to Georgia last week, going up to Missouri mm-hmm. and really struggling for a little bit against a team that they really shouldn't. Credit to them. Good teams find a way to win in those situations, especially with a backup quarterback. But this version of Alabama, and Garrett has this in his notes, so I'll give him credit for this. If they play a similar game next week in Knoxville, they're losing by multiple scores because there's going to be an offense in Knoxville that's fully weaponized and ready to, you know, take advantage of those mistakes in a way that AM just simply couldn't. So, or isn't built to right now. So, yeah, I, I, I still think Alabama is definitely one of the top three teams in the country. I'm a little concerned going forward, um, especially if Bryce Young, if this injury is anywhere near longer. than just this A&M game because Tennessee's ready. Tennessee has been the whipping boy of the Crimson Tide for dang near two decades now. And they are ready to pounce this week if Alabama shows a slight hint of vulnerability. I I will say the the same concern that I highlighted in the preseason about Alabama, the, the, the asterisk that I had on this revenge tour, the offensive line. Now, they blocked really well in the running game, and that zone running scheme is is so effective. I mean, it's just going to be really, really tough for Tennessee to stop. Now, Tennessee has surprised everybody by being competent stopping the run this year, but still, I think this is going to be their biggest challenge up front. That being said, though, the pass protection was doing Milrow no favors. Now, Jalen is not a pocket passer. His first instinct truly is to run, make a play with his feet, and that got him in trouble. That's that's why he fumbled a couple times, being loose with the football, dancing around the pocket. But A&M's pass rush got to Milrow in a way that they have not in past weeks. Now, again, three-man front versus four-man front, and it felt like Durkin brought some blitzes at, at better times, more opportune times this week. But still, I was not impressed with the front five from Alabama in pass protection, that will get them beat next week if they they don't clean some things up. And that will also get them beat down the line in the playoff against Georgia, SEC Championship, what have you. So for me, the the margin for error is so much thinner this year for Alabama in a way that I really didn't expect it to be. I thought the secondary and the offensive line would be be struggles, but they, they would get better as they went along and the secondary I think was fine. I mean, AM's not a team that's going to light it up, although they did give up 253 yards to King through the air, which previously felt like an impossible task for this AM offense to accomplish. I thought they played well. It was the offensive line though, that, that had me concerned. So all eyes will be on Alabama, Tennessee. That's where college game day is going. It's going to be an absolute thriller this next week. So certainly a game to keep your eye on. Let's move to, what was a less fun game to watch. In fact, Trey, you and I did not have this game on for the majority of the day. I believe it was relegated to your iPad, which was silenced uh, in favor of the main screen. University of Texas got years of frustration taken out on the Oklahoma Sooners. They whipped them 49 to nothing. OU did not score a point in this game. I want to read off some stats from the box score. Passing yards. 289 for Texas, 39 for Oklahoma. Rushing yards, 296 for Texas, 156 for Oklahoma. Tackles for loss and sacks. University of Texas had 11 TFLs. They had three sacks. Oklahoma had four TFLs. They did not sack 
Quinn Ewers is one OU fan account tweeted, quote, don't let the score fool you. It wasn't even that close, end quote. Um, my only other note, OU didn't show up to the postgame presser. Tough look for Brent Venables in a whew, in a wasted year, a year where they have gotten blitzed and beaten three consecutive weeks in a row in a way that we've not seen Oklahoma struggle really feels like in our lifetime. Yeah, first time they've been shut out since before Bob Stoops, or maybe Bob Stoops' first year, I can't remember. It was 1998 was the last time Oklahoma was shut out. Oklahoma was the only FBS team that did not score a point this week, to put that in perspective. <laughs> Every other FBS team scored at least a field goal this week. Oklahoma did not. So it, times are tough in Norman, but holy cow, hats off to the Texas Longhorns. I was kind of circling this one going into it. I know we were kind of leaning into the rivalry a little bit. And look, the Red River rivalry historically is definitely a game where you can throw the records, throw past game performances out. It's typically one that's very, very close. I think one of the Texas fans tweeted just like a rundown of the uh, previous margins of victory in this series. And it's all, you know, five points, seven points. I think the most was maybe 14 inner Brent Venables. And all of a sudden it's 49 point blowout. So there's just not much more you can say. You laid out the stats. It was utter domination. I think Texas could have scored more if they wanted to, but they kind of took their foots off the gas, no pun intended, uh, for towards the end of the game there. And Quinn kind of had a what-the-heck interception yeah. on a drive that looked like they were going to score. But other than that, there's just nothing poor that you can say about this Longhorn performance. They look like a Big 12 contender. They look like a team that's really gelling at the right time. Now, as we said with Kansas and TCU, they do have some very difficult matchups coming up uh, with that backloaded Big 12 schedule. But, man, what would their record be if Quinn stayed healthy? I think at least 5-1. and one. I think they would have at least split Bama and Texas Tech. But, yeah, I think I, I saw some people putting them in their personal top 10s. I don't necessarily disagree with that with a healthy Quinn Ewers. Yeah, I, you have a lot of support for the Texas Longhorns. Look, the, the question was not going to be the offense coming in. It was the defense. Could they stop anybody? And to their credit, they're they're getting it done. I mean, obviously, they just hung a goose egg on their biggest rival. Before that, uh, 20 to West Virginia, 34 to Texas Tech, 20 to UTSA. Most of that was in the first half. Uh, obviously, 20 to Alabama, and then 10 to UL Monroe. So it's a defense that has stepped up and has, has taken care of business for the most part, when they've absolutely needed to. Yeah, their schedule, though, boy, uh, versus Iowa State, they which should be this next weekend, then at Oklahoma State, at Kansas State, home against the Frogs, at Kansas versus Baylor. I mean, I, I feel like Texas finds a way to lose at least one more of those, so I'm, I'm probably saying 9-3. Is, is their final record maybe eight and four if, if things really get weird, but still uh, this is, and it's, it's weird to say this for the university of Texas uh, success may be defined outside of, of the, the record books here. I, you found your quarterback, you're building an offensive line. The defense has not gotten just pushed around. The penalties haven't been the biggest issue like they were last year. I think this is a program moving in the right direction and, and certainly building the key blocks that you need if you're going to go compete in the SEC. Yeah, and just one more. just It's a, it's a historic margin of victory. I'm scrolling through Winsipedia 
right now just to see when's the last time this has been this much of a blowout in favor of the Texas Longhorns. The last time I can find that Texas scored more than 40 and held OU under 10 was 1970. So So it's been been a minute since the Longhorns have gotten to enjoy this type of beat down against their bitter rivals. Did you see the the pic, whether it was the the live TV shots or the pictures on on Twitter afterwards of for the post game celebration, Texas is singing the eyes of Texas in their end zone. And I mean, there it looks like there's five people on the OU side. It is yeah. just a wasteland. Um, yeah, for the Sooners, gosh, guys, I don't know what to say. Your team is hurting in a bad way right now. And it's. Offense has not been the issue for Oklahoma over the last couple of years. It's been defense, and and now you can't even play offense. Um, I don't know how this team. I, I'm going to pull up Oklahoma's schedule uh, just to to run that down real fast. But they're three and three. They are zero and three in conference. Which obviously, if you just look at their their past three weeks, you know that. But to say zero and three in conference next to Oklahoma's name is is wild. Uh, they are home against Kansas at Iowa State versus Baylor at West Virginia, home against Bed uh, against Oklahoma State and Bedlam on the road against Texas Tech. Does this OU team get get to bowl eligibility? Uh, they have to find a way, right? I mean, do they? Kansas Kansas is a huge game. I mean, and look, Dylan Gabriel will be back eventually. We think. Um, assuming there's nothing behind the scenes going on, Dylan Gabriel will be back and. That will be an instant spark plug for their offense, and it'll look a lot better with a competent quarterback running the show. But yeah, I mean, we talk about AM's path to bowl eligibility. OU has just as difficult of a path, if not a more difficult one. Yeah, it's, I mean, you, you can see how you get them to the postseason, but um, I wouldn't fault you for telling me Oklahoma goes five and seven this year because, and the last thing I'll say, the thing that I was scared about for Texas A&M happened for OU. Their players quit. They quit yeah. in this game. The second half, nobody cared for the Sooners. Uh, the Crimson and Cream was was at an all-time da- down bad moment. And and now, yeah, you get to come home and, and play at Memorial Stadium, but you've got a Kansas team that's coming in. They're going to be aggressive. There's no reason for them to play this cautiously. Um, Jason Bean's going to be throwing the ball all over the lot. And I think Kansas can find a way to run the ball too. So, you know, you got to hope that Gabriel is healthy. He was warming up in, in the pregame festivities, and obviously they took his helmet away, said he wasn't ready to play. They need him back. Their, their backup quarterback option. They didn't trust Davis Bevel or General Booty enough, so they ran Braden Willis, who is a running back fullback, out there to run Wildcat for the vast majority of that game. That's how sad it was offensively for Brent Venables and staff. So, uh, oh boy, it's a tough time to be a Sooner fan right now. There's there's no doubt about it. Let's go back out west to the Conference of Champions, and we talked about this off the top. UCLA 42, Utah 32. Uh, ye of little faith to anyone who did not believe that UCLA had a chance in this game. If you have the faith of a Gucci-branded Orange County mustard seed, you too can start out 6-0 and and charging towards a chance at the Pac-12 title game. You know, you gave them a little bit of a heel turn here. You, you took Utah. You took them to cover. Uh, I think I was the only one on the podcast that was that was riding with UCLA. I did not expect the offense to be as explosive as they were and the defense to stand up 
in the way that they did. Not only did they stop Utah from scoring late, but the forced turnovers, that was the difference in the ballgame. This is a UCLA team that, look, make all the make all the the fan jokes that you want about them playing in front of a half half-filled stadium. This is a legit football team that, I mean, we could legitimately be saying Pac-12 champion and playoff seed UCLA Bruins if everything falls their way. I mean, I, mean, I don't think I'm blowing that out of proportion. No, you're absolutely not. I mean, the results on the field speak for themselves, but they're going to be rolling into that matchup with USC towards the end of the year with at most one loss, I think, unless just craziness Pac-12 after dark happens, which is very much possible. Sure. But I think the max amount of losses would be um, picking one up in Eugene after the bye this week. But in the here and now, man, first of all, you're welcome, Bruins. I picked against you the last two <laughs> weeks despite me believing in you, and it's worked out fine. So maybe I might have to just keep rolling with that little reverse jinx action. But, man, DTR looked amazing in this game. He threw for 299 yards. He had as many total touchdowns as he did in completions. He had five touchdowns and five um, incompletions. So the offense was just unstoppable. I thought Utah's defense would give them more trouble they just ran right through him. Zach Charbonnet had almost 200 yards and another touchdown. Defense did just enough, forcing those turnovers. And yeah, we, we thought they'd be really good at stopping the run. I was a little concerned about that matchup with Utah's offensive line. But yeah, credit the defense for doing just enough. Cam Rising turned the ball over twice, and that was a difference. So it's a huge trip to Eugene. That game, it's two weeks from now. Both teams have a bye week going into it. But that could definitely decide a spot in the Pac-12 title game. Yeah, Garrett, uh, in his notes, obviously eulogizing the Utes. Yep. Um, gosh, they just, they're not ready. They're not, and again, another team dealing with injuries. Who isn't at this point in the season? But Cam Rising just couldn't quite lead the comeback charge. Um, UCLA was in control for the majority of this game, and uh, it was clear by the end that as high as Utah was projected to be to, to finish, to start the season, uh, the better team was was wearing blue and gold, and uh, that that's the UCLA team that won. So I'm excited. Yeah, bye week and then a critical game against Oregon. I tell you what, the TV right deal has to get figured out out west because these games cannot be hidden on the Pac-12 network. And I'm I'm assuming UCLA and uh, and Oregon will not be. It's probably going to be a Fox game. But still, you've had some some fun matchups hidden behind the paywall uh, paywall on the Pac-12 network. Somehow I have it as a part of my plan, but you guys do not. Um, and, and so again, it's like, you know, only one of us gets to to watch it unless we're, we're together and I can throw it up on your smart TV or something like that. That's just dumb. Like that, that should yeah. not be happening in 2022. Come on folks. Let's, let's figure out a way to, uh, to nationalize our product. Yeah. Especially right, this game, UCLA, Oregon, that that's probably going to be college game day. I think college game day was probably hope. circling USC, Utah this week, but then, uh, obviously, those plans changed uh, with UCLA winning this game, so they'll probably make a trip out west next week. Those are the big national storylines from Week Six in college football. If you have your own thoughts, please reach out to us at Three Tech Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Trey, let's whip around the conferences. Let's start in the Southeastern Conference with a game that neither of us saw coming: South Carolina twenty-four, Kentucky fourteen. Um, the hype behind the Big Blue Nation has officially subsided now they did not have will levis playing in this game a couple of different injuries they said he had a lower body injury his like ring finger was also sideways at one point last week when he when he broke it 
Um, so backup quarterback, Chris Rodriguez gave it his best. He rushed for 126 yards, but didn't find the end zone. And ultimately, Kentucky's bugaboo has been that they just can't score. Uh, that's That's been a theme for, for a number of highly rated teams this season, is that they can't find the end zone. And South Carolina, despite multiple turnovers from Spencer Rattler and the worst QBR in the Southeastern Conference, the Gamecocks, they find a way their defense steps up to beat Kentucky. Yeah, uh, I think you pronounce his name Kaya Sharon. I'm not really yeah. sure. We didn't even have this game on our radar no. because of how poorly South Carolina. And look, we, we, we're kind of dunking on South Carolina a little bit. They're sitting at four and two, and I think they're going to make a bowl game uh, despite us doubting that in the preseason with their schedule. But man, that was an ugly football game. And Kentucky, until they get that O-line fixed, yeah, Will Levis is broken. Like Will Levis has no time to do anything. I, the national media was kind of dunking on him after getting that draft type and not really performing in Ole Miss. But I mean, if you don't, if you don't get any blocking, we saw it again tonight. Uh, Sharon was sacked six times by that South Carolina defense and you just can't do anything. And on the other side of the ball, look, this game was an absolute rock fight. It was setting the game of football back 20 years with the <laughs> offensive performances by both teams. But Credit South Carolina for playing a physical brand of football, for pulling this one out, for getting an upset that no one saw coming. And I don't know how sustainable this is for South Carolina down the stretch. They have some really tough games. Uh, still have Tennessee on the schedule, I believe. Still have Clemson at the end of the year. Still have A&M, Florida, teams like that. They're not letting Rattler throw. They really don't trust him to do much. They only let him throw 19 times yesterday. So, Would you trust him to throw more? I no, I wouldn't. But I'm just, I'm just saying. Like he was brought in there to be, you know, a guy that slings it around and really opens Sling up that it. offense. But Marshawn Lloyd is that offense right now. So yeah. again, kudos to South Carolina. You're four and two. You're ahead of schedule for bowl eligibility. I think they will get there. But yeah, it's not going to be pretty. No, de- definitely not. Another game that was not pretty in the slightest. Literally from the opening kickoff, happened in Baton Rouge, uh, Louisiana. LSU plus three was one of America's most popular bets this weekend, and I, for the life of me, could not understand why. I laid it out on the podcast in our preview episode. I didn't understand, even though LSU was like 5-0 and over the last five times that they'd played Tennessee, and they dominated them. It wasn't close. Sometimes you have to throw history out the window and just look at the Jimmys and Joes on the field, and I didn't see a path to victory for LSU. The scoreboard backed me up. Tennessee 40, LSU 13. Now, Trey, if you read the internet, which has just been known to be an ultimate source of truth, we believe everything that we see on the internet. Uh, what what were LSU fans blaming this loss on? Yeah, so hat tip to message board geniuses on Twitter for this one, but holy cow, do some LSU fans have the tinfoil hats out because apparently... <laughs> Tennessee won because they're using electromagnetic technology to scramble the nervous systems of LSU players. And they had screenshots. They had all this stuff circled where you could apparently see stuff that was screwy uh, next to the Tennessee sideline. But yeah, that's at least what they're blaming the opening kickoff being muffed on. So will we ever know the truth? I don't know. But if Alabama fumbles the opening kickoff next week, maybe something's up. Yeah. Then, then launch the investigation. I, I think the top comment, at least when I checked that thread was something 
and it could have been sarcasm. I have no idea. You can never tell when it's a Twitter egg on the internet. It was a comment saying this happens all the time, and we honestly shouldn't be surprised at this point. And I didn't know if this was a galactic brain moment or if this guy was so deep in a bottle of LSU's strongest liquor that I just I just had to kind of sit back and clap. Like, oh my goodness, what an absolute take that gentleman had. Um, LSU fans, let's let's be real for a minute here. There are those in social media and other podcasts that will trumpet LSU and say that Brian Kelly is the right fit for Baton Rouge. Now that may be true. That may be true. But what I've seen on the field is not something that leads me to believe that LSU is an elite team this year. Uh, Jaden Daniels, he's, he gets it done sort of. I just don't believe in his downfield passing attack. The wide receiving core hasn't been very good. It's been inconsistent this year. And the defense just disappears at times. I mean, you guys were down 17 to nothing to Auburn last week and still had the the chutzpah to say that you were going to beat Tennessee, which again, I applaud the confidence. Tennessee was the better team here. They came in, they did not exactly what I expected because I didn't expect them to hang 40 on LSU, but Hendon Hooker is that dude. I think he's going to be a Heisman finalist. It's, it's just hard to say that he's not at this point. He makes game-breaking throws. There was one throw that he made, I think in the third quarter, that uh, NFL scouts will be drooling over from one hash to the opposite corner of the end zone in stride for a touchdown beat double coverage. Tennessee's really, really good, and I cannot wait to watch them give Alabama a, a really good game, I'm hoping, this next weekend. Yeah, that I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be... As long as Bryce Young plays, that could be a lot of points scored. I feel like every time I've said that this year, it's turned into a rock fight. But for real this time, I think there could be a lot of points scored in that game if Bryce Young is playing. But yeah, man, if you're an NFL draft guy that had Anthony Richardson in your top 15, Ooh. just go ahead and edit that HTML a little bit, replace it with Hinn and Hooker, and you'll look like a genius. That's right. That's right. A little, little revisionist history. Just pray freezing cold takes doesn't expose you and uh, move on about your day. Uh, other games in the SEC, I'll let you kind of pick your your thoughts on, on one of these games. Mississippi State dominates Arkansas without KJ Jefferson, 40-17. to Florida escapes Miami, 24-17. Georgia runs the cover play late, doggone it, to beat Auburn, 42-10. Trey's fist pumping if you're listening to the podcast. And Ole Miss, they were scared early against Vandy, but they do pull away 52-28. Out of any of those games, do you have a, a positive thought, an interesting comment? Mississippi State looks legit. Um, Stetson Bennett, that touchdown run on the QB draw where they went five wide just in the eye hole of Auburn to go, I think it was 35 to nothing at that time or 35 to three or something like that. It was just yeah. glorious it in was a rivalry first game. Play. Yeah, yeah it, it, it was awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, the SEC outside of the top three or four, this looks absolutely wide open. I think there's going to be a head-scratching score every single week from here on out. Yeah, uh, Ole Miss, their offense was sluggish early. Again, we have questions about Jackson Dart's ability to drive that team forward. I know you and I, we don't differ on Dart's ability. I don't think either of us think he's he's very good right now, but I do think that running game is ex- extremely lethal, and that's ultimately what got Vandy late. You're right, though, about the Cowbells. Mississippi State's legit. 
I mean, this is a New Year's Six bound team if things keep trending this direction, because not only are they throwing the ball, uh, Will Rogers threw for 395 yards. I believe he's now the school's all-time passing leader, uh, and he might have actually passed the conference record for most completions in a career as well. I need to double check that. Three more touchdowns for him on 31 completions. I mean, they're running the ball too, and they're playing defense. So this is a very complete team. This was a team that was slept on in the preseason. I think all of us kind of felt like that. To this extent, I don't know that we we can say that we called that, but it's a very impressive Mike Leach squad. And um, I tell you what, I, they're not any fun to see on the rest of the schedule. Florida barely escaping that. Ugh, that was an that was an ugly game. And then uh, yeah, I had to watch uh, as you mentioned, Stequavius Bennett run the cover play. Uh, just an absolute gallop to the residents. It broke my heart. Uh, I can't believe Brian Harson's not fired as of recording this on eight yeah, thirty one p.m. Sunday. You got to figure it's coming soon. Yeah, it's it's got to be coming soon. One more note on the SEC. We have berated Jackson Dart a little bit. He did throw for four hundred and forty eight <laughs> this week. So. So much I, of that was late. So, so much, much of it was late. late. Vandy looked like they could sneak out of that game with a win several times, but credit Ole Miss for going on the road and getting that one. All right, let's go around the Big 12. Uh, I think just two other games that we haven't already mentioned. There were only four Big 12 games in action this week. Oklahoma State beats Texas Tech 41-31. This was a great game and was really in doubt late. In fact, at one point, Tech held the outright lead, and it kind of felt like, Baron Morton and company, their true freshman quarterback, were going to pull away. Kind of the big note in that one was Morton got the nod at quarterback with Donovan Smith perfectly healthy. They slid Donovan Smith out to slot wide receiver for this game. Yeah, that was a shocking thing to see on our TV screens when, you know, we, we were kind of lulled to sleep a little bit to the start of that game. We had been hyped up by that Kansas TCU finish and we're, oh, Baron Morton is starting for Tech. And that was awesome. Like he came out. First drive leads them right down the field. I don't think they even ran the ball once on that first drive and they scored a touchdown. Uh, but yeah, Joey McGuire, he was pulling out all the stops. He was playing to win that game. So hats off to him. And in the end, Oklahoma State is a good team. We've been beating this drum since the offseason. The better team ended up pulling away late and holding on late, really. But yeah, credit to Tech for coming in there, playing to win. And Baron Morton looks like he is going to be an absolute problem for the Big 12 for the next three or four years. He does. I mean, he's got that he's got that Baker Mayfield mold, to be quite honest. A, a strong arm. He can sling it. He also runs. Um, yeah, I think he's going to be a lot of fun to watch there for the Red Raiders. And also just the ultimate Texas Tech name, Baron Morton, spelled B-E-H-R-E-N. I mean, what else can you want in a West Texas guy? Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. Probably the son of an oil baron. I, I don't know his backstory, but right. absolutely. At least, at least in our world, that's where he comes from. Uh, the only other game that we haven't talked about, <laughs> Farmageddon was a beautiful disaster. 10-9, to 9, Kansas State beats Iowa State. Um, somehow, Kansas State does not cover the spread. It was a one-and-a-half point spread when we picked it. And you were saying this, I think most of the fourth quarter, you were going, this is going to be a one point victory. And of course, Kansas State's not going to cover. That's that's not what happened. Garrett would like you to know that his darling Kansas State Wildcats uh, should not be doing that again. Uh, he he had some heart palpitations, maybe some some elevated BPMs. And uh, tell you what, Adrian Martinez, he almost almost had an Adrian Martinez special. They do find a way to get the win, though. 
Well, Adrian Martinez actually played relatively well. I mean, I know they only put up 10 points. He threw a what should have been a bomb touchdown that was stripped at the goal line and recovered by Iowa State. So could have covered, could would have, could have, should have, obviously. That's why they make you put actual money if you're going to bet on a game. But yep. yeah, I mean, I'm still confident in Kansas State. It was a rivalry game. Weird things happen. So flush it down, move on. Hopefully you play better on offense next week. Let's go over to the ACC. Some interesting games here. Um, let's just mention Clemson 31, Boston College 3. Really, really no big takeaways from this. Garrett would like you to know that Clemson is in his personal top three. I've also got them as a top four team right now. I think, look, DJU not some did not have great first half stats, but they did what they needed to do on the road to beat a Boston College team that I understand they're not very good this season, but Still, anytime you have a guy with the arm like Phil Dracovic does throwing to a wide receiver like Zay Flowers, who has speed, hands, things can get weird. It was the red bandana game for Boston College honoring um, one of their former uh, ball players who who passed away in uh, in the 9-11 tragedy. Um, so it's an emotional night, and they usually play really, really well in that red bandana game. Offense just didn't get going for Boston College. That Clemson defense stands tall once again. 31-3, not really much else that I have to say about this game. I will say it looked like we were headed for another DJU special after singing his praises in that first quarter, but yeah, credit to Clemson for pulling that out in a tough environment. Uh, NC State barely wins over Florida State 19-17. The Wolfpack was down 17-3 to at the half, and I was wondering, oh my goodness, I've jumped off the bandwagon too soon, and I, I said this in the preview, I was not jumping off the bandwagon, I was just just looking at analytics, looking at the numbers here, and felt like NC State was still the better team. They didn't play like it, uh, and Devin Leary going down in the third quarter does not help matters. He could be done for, for a little bit of time. He It was a, a right throwing arm, shoulder injury, um, did not look like a, a thing that you just bounce back from in the next week. We'll wait to see on official word uh, from the team. But 16 unanswered points for NC State, and their defense realized, in the, in the AP recap, they talk about their defense kind of stepping up and saying, okay, this is on us now, and they they stepped up. They pick off Jordan Travis on both of the final two drives that the Knowles tried to mount. It's an ugly football game, but at the end of the day, NC State wins and uh, they stay alive in that race for an ACC championship berth. Yeah, and I know a lot of Florida State fans were really ticked off with the play calling, um, especially on that final drive. I saw a lot of Florida State Twitter was um, just really upset by that. So, you know, that that's going to happen in a college game, and I think the better team won even with a backup quarterback. It was a defensive slugfest, not really what we expected in this one, but yeah, the team with the better defense held on. Uh, Georgia Tech and Duke gave us a surprising thriller. Georgia Tech prevailing, excuse me, in overtime 23-20 over the Dukies. Um, Garrett is just celebrating and, and throwing his cash around that Duke's already hit their three-and-a-half-point win total, so everything else is gravy. Tell you what, though, the Rambling Wreck has quietly won two in a row after upsetting Pitt on the road last week. Um, maybe this team has a little bit of life. Just had to get rid of Jeff Collins. Jeff Collins was apparently really? a bigger problem than just losing games because it seems like the mojo's completely changed in that locker room. So great job, Georgia Tech. That's an awesome win. Hopefully they can keep building in the right direction for whoever their new coach is. 
Uh, UNC wins an ugly one uh, against Miami, 27-24. Shocked I saw Tyler Van Dyke. That, that was start. my biggest takeaway. Yeah, he got the start, throws a throws a game-sealing pick. I mean, that kid, I tell you what, he's trying everything he possibly can to propel that team forward, and Miami's just still a ways away from competing. I know we talked about that in the preseason, that this team, there's there was no way that they were going to be able to really step up and compete as far as national contention. Now, I think, uh, I don't remember exactly who, but a couple of us had them reaching the ACC title game. I believe I was one of them. I did too. Yeah, 100%. Not not happening. Not bad. Didn't think, yeah, didn't think they'd be relevant nationally, but I thought that they would have talent enough to handle most of the ACC coastal. But <laughs> here we are, and Dude. we can't even handle the Blue Raiders of middle tennessee state so no that yeah we're our our takes did not age age well there uh pit 45 virginia tech 29 what else can i say the Hokies are bad this year and louisville back from the grave i mean they were down early to virginia they win 34 17 amidst all kinds of reports that satterfield is going to be left on the tarmac if they lose to virginia uh then there's a report that comes out that says louisville has no intention of firing him which really felt like kind of a cover your butt moment, but they win the game. Uh, and I don't know that Satterfield sticks around for that much longer, but at least he buys himself another week. Yeah. I'm not sure how they won this game. I, I didn't watch any of this game. Well, I saw Virginia was up. Was hurt. Yeah. It, it, they won with a backup quarterback and that backup quarterback threw two picks. Didn't really throw for threw for 275, I guess. So not like a low number of yards. They didn't, they ran the ball. Okay. Yeah. I, Sure. Yeah, they won. They won a game. They were down 10 to nothing, and Scott Satterfield still has a job. Out to the Pac-12, couple of interesting results. Arizona State wearing the worst uniforms I've seen since the Steelers wore those Bumblebee jerseys back in the day. I think they still break them out from time to time. They win 45-38 over Washington. Is Washington not very good, Trey? I tried to say on the preview show this week that we are at the point in the season where we're comparing teams to what we thought they were in the preseason. And we thought Washington was good because they beat Michigan State. We've been made abundantly clear that Michigan State is not a good football They're team. Bad. So we're not sure on Washington. I'm willing to give them a mulligan. Weird things happen in the desert. But yeah, uh, jury's still out. Listen, when you pay your coach $95 million, you kind of expect the football team to be good. Am I right? Yeah. I, yes. We, we were speaking from experience there. Um, <laughs> we feel your pain, Michigan State. But I, I don't necessarily. Also, Michael, Penix, Michael Penix threw maybe the weirdest interception I've ever oh. seen when he just beamed it off his left guard's helmet straight up into the air and into the hands of a waiting Arizona State defender. That was That was amazing. Yeah, watching the left guard's helmet like jerk forward as, as he just gets <laughs> brained with the football was was comical. Did not ease the pain of watching the Huskies lose that game. USC runs the dead gum cover play late, uh, 30-14 over Wazoo. That was in LA. Oregon survives all kinds of weirdness that we've seen happen in, in Tucson, 49-22. And dude, Oregon State back i mean they they were down and out this was going stanford's way this was going to be stanford's first win over an fbs team in several years i believe um but oregon state comes out the chainsaws get it done 28 27 yeah this that game was absolutely 
bonkers. Ben Goldbrinson, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. In relief for the Beavers, uh, Chance Nolan was out with an injury. Stanford was up 17-7 at the half, 24-10 after three, and Oregon State outscored them 18-3 in the fourth quarter. All three touchdowns were insane. One was on fourth and eight. The other two, one was a 40-yard touchdown run. The other was a 50-yard pass. It was just mayhem for Oregon State to pull that one out. Yeah, I don't know how far Oregon State can go if Chance Nolan's going to deal with injury um, any or for the rest of the year. But hey, shout out to Ben for getting getting a road dub. That was that was big. Yeah. Uh, wrap it up in the Power Five with the Big Ten. And gosh, uh, if you were watching Big Ten football this week, you are either a diehard college football fan or had no control of the remote control because there were some ugly football games going on. Let's start Friday night. Nebraska 14, Rutgers 13. Garrett very proud that his Scarlet Knight plus the three in the hook hit. Um, Rutgers immediately fires their offensive coordinator for good reason after this football game. Nebraska, are are we are we treading water here? They they tried to lose this game. They were down 13 to nothing, and then Casey Thompson had to lead a couple of touchdown drives to to salvage it, but maybe the most unimpressive conference win of all time if you're a, a big red fan. I don't think you can be picky about conference wins if you're a big red fan. So (laughs) if you're complaining about a road win in conference and you're a Nebraska fan, I'd ask you to kindly look up your recent history because you should not be complaining. But yeah, I mean, we are treading water. If we're Nebraska, we uh, that Big Ten West, the shadow realm is wide open. Whoever wants to come out on top of that and get offered up to Ohio State or Michigan, by all means, like it is wide open in there for the taking. I had this game at the bottom of our run sheet. I want to talk about it now, though, because, Trey, as you are so famous for saying, you cannot win games kicking field goals. I give you the first place in the Big Ten West, Illinois fighting Illini. Long live the Chief. They done did it. They won a game by kicking field goals 9-6 to over the Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh, just an incredibly sloppy game. Yeah, there's a big asterisk to my mantra, and that asterisk at the bottom in the fine print, it reads, unless Kirk Ferentz is on the opposing sideline, because <laughs> you definitely can win games kicking field goals if you're going up against Kirk Ferentz. Yeah, just, goodness, there was, I can't remember which journalist tweeted it. I know Sicko's committee retweeted it. I think Reddit College Football did as well. At one point, Iowa had three separate drives in a quarter where they went backwards on each of the drives, but because of Illinois turnovers within, you know, a 15 minute span, they lost yardage and still kicked a field goal to at that point go up over the Illini. Just a, I mean, all you talked about football being set back 20 years when we talked about South Carolina, Kentucky, I mean, dude, we're in the 1800s watching Iowa play football right now. The forward pass has yet to be invented. Yeah, you, yeah, you said it. it we, we're playing football like we did back when we, if the field was too wet, we would punt on first down. So it, it, it's a tough scene everywhere in the Big Ten West, but especially in Iowa. I'm trying to find that drive chart and the way that oh, that nothing. the way that that worked out. Yeah, Illinois fumbled. Um, Illinois, Iowa gets the ball at the 14 and they end up going backwards all the way to the to the Illinois like 25 and kicking a field goal for one of their two field goals. So just an ugly scene all around. 
not not good. Um, another ugly scene when you talk about a team not covering. Michigan State gets blasted by Ohio State, forty nine twenty. Dude, Mel Tucker, um, wow, just continues to be a, a disappointment. Like you can talk about coaches underachieving, but some of these games that they're losing, they're just getting blown out. And I mean. We figured that would happen. Ohio State's going to throw for 5,000 yards. Michigan State has no secondary. But they came out at home. They competed for like a quarter. And then it was like they rolled over and quit playing. I mean, I, man, if you if, if you are a Michigan State fan looking at Mel, Tech, Mel Tucker, how do you feel confident about him living up to anywhere close to this extension that he just got? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I think you got to look at the recruiting rankings, but even that started off really strong this year and hasn't really lived up to the hype. They're sitting at 23rd in the recruiting rankings right now, but dude, I don't know. Like I, I, there's a couple teams that you're just kind of grasping at straws for hope. And I don't know what Mel Tucker had done to warrant that extension. There wasn't anyone that was going to come higher Mel Tucker away and you make him one of the most, <laughs> the most highly paid coaches in college football. So yeah, I know it's pot counting the kettle black from a Texas A&M fan right now, but look, we, we, we need to find some solace in another program struggling the same way we are. <laughs> uh, not the kind of solace I want to take. Uh, Michigan 31, Iowa 10. That, tell you what, that game had me sweating on the cover. Uh, Indiana. Indiana. I'm sorry, Indiana uh, 10, Michigan 31. Indiana does cover. The spread was 22 in the hook. They lose by 21, so we'll take it. Uh, chalk that up in, in the uh, in the win category. Purdue 31, Maryland 29. Aiden O'Connell throws for 390 yards. And Purdue, as I mentioned, in second place, now behind Illinois, just like we all projected. Purdue is two plays away from being undefeated. I, I will stamp that. They, they lost a close game against Syracuse and a close game against Penn State to open up the year. They're very close to being undefeated. That's that's the way college football go, right? Um, let's go to the group of five and a game that just made no sense in the in before when we previewed it. I didn't really enjoy watching it on the field. I mean, the Shamrock series going west of the Rockies was just weird to me. But Notre Dame 28, BYU 20, the Fighting Irish. Tell you what, Marcus Freeman seems to have figured something out. They're putting some points up on the board. The defense finally decided to show up. And we didn't understand why BYU is a three and a half point uh, dog in this one. They don't even cover that. They lose by by a full score. Yeah, apparently Marcus Freeman converted to Catholicism officially after the Marshall game. Like, I'm not even joking. Like, that, like officially, officially, <laughs> officially, officially oh, became got confirmed in the Catholic Church, and he has not lost a game since. So, if you are looking for a narrative, <laughs> there's your narrative. Oh my gosh, I can't wait for the athletic article to come out on that. Uh, Houston, 33, Memphis, 32, wild scene. Absolutely yeah. wild ending to this game. Now, I was calling a high school football game, so I only saw the highlights for this. Houston was down and out heading into the fourth quarter, and then really chaos broke loose. Yeah, you know, you talk about moments that can maybe salvage a season. Houston absolutely had one of those on Friday night because yeah, they were down and out. I, it was 20 to seven Memphis at the end of the third quarter. And then Memphis scored again to go up 26 to seven, missed a two point conversion to try to make it a full three touchdown game. 
And it was all Houston from there. They came roaring back. Um, yeah, just took it right from Memphis. And if you're a Houston fan, you know, you hope that that can be something that really starts to turn the season around. As I said on Thursday, they are dead to me. I'm not going to be optimistic about Houston turning their season around, but at least they got a bright spot. Uh, UTSA, Triangle of Toughness, wins out over the Hilltoppers of Western Kentucky, 31-28. Shout out to James Madison. They're 5-0. They are ranked in the top 25 for the first time in program history because they've only been in the FBS for five games, and they've won all five of them. They beat Arkansas State uh, 42-20. to I, I mean, dude, uh, let's punt the NCAA and their dumb rules to the curb. I will fully support James Madison hanging a banner if they go undefeated and don't get to play in the postseason. Call yourself whatever you want. I'll buy a T-shirt. I'm with. I'm riding with the Dukes here. Yeah, I'll buy a T-shirt as well. No one beats you. If you go 12-0, and they don't let you play, no one beats you. So no. never saw it on the field. Teams, Go ahead and claim teams, whatever you want. Teams used to be able to just claim national championships. I think that's how Colorado got got half of theirs, right? They just got to kind of claim it. So why why can't the Dukies claim it? Yeah, and if someone like Alabama wants to, you know, turn their noses up at that, I'm pretty sure Alabama's claimed a championship when they lost three games, including their bowl game. So yeah, you, you, yeah. let James you, Madison do what they want. The annals of college football history are wild when it comes to national champions and conference championships claimed back in the day. I mean, just truly like land grab moments where you had no business claiming that. But hey, yeah, sure. Why not? You have three losses. And if you call yourself national champion, who's who says no? Yeah. Um, The most concerning group of five stat, at least for us here in the Lone Star State, Trey, uh, your wife's Texas State Bobcats now have a transitive win over the former sixth-ranked team in the country in the Texas A&M Aggies. Texas State dominates App State. It was not as close as the final score. 36-24 was your final. Chase Bryce tried the lead to come back, but they were getting blown out in San Marcos for the majority of this game. Yeah, you talk about scores that just make you go, huh, and came 100% out of nowhere. Jake Spavitol's Texas State Bobcats just ripping into app state and yeah like you said that score was not as close as that or that score is much closer than the game was so yeah great job bobcats go jump in the river celebrate all you want that's a great college town as well so i hope they had a great time this weekend let's round things out with a recap over the ledger and um surprise surprise we all go two and two again this week it's in just an interesting how... way, though. We went two and two in a very True. interesting way. Well, well take take it away. I, I I was was teeing you up for that. Yeah, so I picked two games that I lost. Um, so I, the ones that I'm supposed to win, I lost. And then I got two wins against uh, Garrett and Mitch and the ones that they gave me. So Duke and Kansas State really let me down, especially that goal line fumble that I talked about against Kansas Mitch. State. And the state also missed a field goal, but you know, we're going to let bygones be bygones because Navy put up almost 60 on Tulsa <laughs> and the fighting Terry Bowden's kept it close against coastal. So they I go did. two and two, Garrett goes two and two, Mitch goes two and two, and we all leave home. We all go home kind of with mixed emotions. I'll, I'll say this. I'm so proud of the ball state Cardinals for not only covering right, the winner. They outright win. Central Michigan had one win on the season. I could not understand for the life of me why Ball State, a team 
that is only one win better at two and three at the time, but has an explosive offense is more than a touchdown dog on the road. Like I, I don't get that. So I, I leaned into it. I got it. I knew better. I knew better than betting against Terry Bowden and a team that plays zero defense. I mean, let's, let's be honest. The opposing teams, when you, when you play coastal, you're basically playing against air. And I knew better than to, to bet that game, but I wanted to. So I did and I lost, uh, but we all go two and two yet. Navy just literally shelling Tulsa into oblivion. Tulsa nearly beat Cincinnati last week. I mean, they gave the Bearcats a run for their money. Now that may not be very impressive considering Cincinnati barely beat South Florida this last week, but Tulsa, I mean, the team that you don't want to see in your schedule, if you're a group of five team, they're always a pesky squad. They play really solid defense. Typically their offense can put up some kind of points, not against the midshipmen. The middies just annihilated uh, the golden hurricane and uh, you know, maybe chalk one up for the armed forces here. Yeah. I, we kept kind of poking fun at Garrett for that one. Uh, and every time it would come up on the <laughs> score bug. So yeah, salute the troops. Thanks for getting me uh, back to 500 on the week. I do not believe army covered though against wake forest. I know that there were some interested betting parties on that one. Navy we'll ran for 455 yards. I just looked like that. <laughs> so All if you want to beat Tulsa, I guess just run the ball. That's right. Convert that to football football miles per gallon, and uh, we'll we'll start a conversation about Navy being back next week. All right, Trey. Well, man, uh, fun week six recap. College football is the best. What else can you say? It was it was a, just a tremendous time getting to to hang out to watch games from morning until night. Uh, and you know what? Game keeps on giving. Uh, we have another great slate this next week. Some really fun matchups. We talked about Tennessee, Alabama getting ready to come up. We're also setting the stage for some some large matchups, especially out on the West Coast uh, in in two weeks' time. But uh, week seven, certainly not a a slate to sleep on. We're excited to preview that. We'll bring that episode to you on Thursday morning per usual. And uh, you should have Garrett back in the fold by that point as well. For Trey Reeves, for Garrett Turney, who sends his best, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, so long, everybody. (laughs) 